You are listening to RudolfSteinerAudio.com. If you are listening to the podcast of this, it is located at RudolfSteiner.Podbean.com. Please consider becoming a patron. As well, there are two publishing houses, SteinerBooks.org in America and RudolfSteinerPress.com in England, who are the sole publishers of Steiner into English and have given me permission to do these recordings. Please consider patronizing them as well. You are listening to RudolfSteinerAudio.com. This is a reading of The Collected Works, Volume 218 by Rudolf Steiner, entitled Spirit as Sculptor of the Human Organism, translated by Matthew Barton. This is Lecture 5, given in Dornach on the 23rd of October, 1922. From many of our previous studies, you will have seen that I am not too keen to refer to our era as one of, in quotes, transition, since every age is a transitional period from the past to the future. And so the only question really is what the nature of this transition is. But in our times a very important transition is occurring and can be recognized by those who perceive the world of spirit. It is a transition repeatedly mentioned in the wisdom of very ancient times, in eras when people still meant something real when they spoke of a world of spirit, although their knowledge was dreamlike in nature. In ancient times it was always said that the so-called dark age would end at a certain point, giving way to an age of light. If one carefully studies the words of these wise people of ancient times, one finds that they were indeed referring to the transition occurring between the 19th and 20th centuries, the time we are living in now. But there is no need for us to embrace old, dreamlike forms of wisdom through anthroposophy. This is not the case at all, as I have often said. In anthroposophy, instead, we are concerned with what spiritual research can discover today. In other words, anthroposophy does not aim to renew some form of ancient wisdom, but is a modern form of knowledge. Yet in this matter of a transition from an age of darkness to one of light, our modern knowledge concurs with ancient wisdom. If we go by current external events, It does not appear as if humanity, civilized Europe in particular, is progressing from worse to better conditions. Yet it is true, nevertheless, that we are entering an age of light, as ancient wisdom tells us. We just have to see things in the right way. I would like to offer an example, firstly, to show the difference between an age of light and an age of darkness. Those who spoke in these terms around the 5th millennium B.C., describing an age of darkness and one of light, saw this dark age as the consequence of a former age of light and expressed the view that once the dark age had taken its course, it would be followed by another age of light. It will therefore be instructive to look back and discover how the earlier age of light, existing around the 7th or 8th millennium BCE affecting human affairs excuse me affected human affairs and how it differed from the subsequent age of darkness from which we are now set to emerge 
To study this, I want to use an example, as I said, that of healing or medicine. We can learn a great deal from this domain in particular. In the ancient light, or lucid, era, healing did not take the physical human body into account. No one even thought of doing so. In that ancient epoch of light, no one even spoke of illness as we do today. And in future we will once again cease to speak of it as such. Naturally, in those times, human organs could degenerate and give rise to some kind of loss of health. But instead of regarding this as illness, people spoke of death taking possession of a person. Whereas we say that someone is ill, in those days people saw a kind of battle between life and death. They said that death was battling within someone where we would say that he has fallen ill. And recovery or healing was seen as a combating of death, a driving out of death from the human being. Thus life and death, not health and illness, were seen to be at work. And what we regard as illness was just a special instance of death, a little death if you like, whereas health was seen as life. Why was this? It was because, in those days, healing was accomplished entirely through the etheric body. The physical body was ignored in healing, and instead only the etheric body was considered. How was this accomplished? Well, let's assume that someone was suffering from a condition we would call pneumonia today. We'll use this word, although an inflammation of the lungs was of a different kind then. In those days, such a person would be seen as too dependent on the region of the earth where he lived. This was during an era when human migrations were less common than today, when people rarely left the place where they lived. Mostly people stayed their whole lives in one place. But in such a case, a person would be thought too dependent on the region where he was born. In those ancient times, you see, people were very aware of their pre-earthly existence and knew that during this existence they had themselves decided where they must live on earth in fulfillment of their destiny. They would therefore say that someone who succumbed to pneumonia before the age of forty had not made the right choice when deciding where he would dwell on earth. They would say that he was not living in the place that suited him best. In other words, they saw the cause of the disorder in the relationship between a person's organism and the region where he lived. I could draw it roughly like this. There's a drawing. In picturing the earth like this, people said that someone living in this spot is too dependent on a particular region and must be healed by inwardly liberating him from his outer dependency on this region. And this could be done by bringing him into relationship with the surrounding cosmos, with the encompassing heavens. People regarded the heavens as the home in which the person concerned had been dwelling before he came to live on the earth. He was thought to be at odds with his dwelling on earth and was to be healed by establishing his proper relationship to the cosmos. To do this, they proceeded as follows. Because they regarded him as suffering from excessive earthly influences, 
too much gravity and all that is connected with it, they believed they must alleviate this condition by introducing supersensible forces into him. Perceiving that super-earthly powers were at work in one type of plant flower or another, they obtained the juice from such flowers. They saw that a particular plant flowers at a certain time of year and does so to the, due to the influences of the cosmos, and they studied the extent to which a human being is influenced by this season of the year. In long-gone times people sought to discover the human being's dependency on heavenly phenomena by means of horoscopes and such like, and then medicines were administered that would cause a certain general resonance in a person's ether body. They saw it like this. Here is a human being, and there's another drawing, and here is his ether body. He has contracted pneumonia because his ether body is too strongly attracted to the earth in the region of his lungs, and because the earth forces exert too strong an influence on him. Now he was given the juice of certain flowers which acted upon him to overcome these forces. In other words, they sought to reconnect such a person with the cosmos by administering the right substances and their powers. Efforts were made to induce the proper resonance in a person's whole ether body in order to balance certain incorrect resonances. And so the question was always what the ether body needed and what should be done to help it. But what enabled them to proceed in this way in the first place? They were only able to do this because they had a clear idea of the human etheric body. In those former times, people not only perceived the physical body, but they saw it shine too. They saw the ether body. The human being was a being of light, and in the same way that we can tell by looking at someone nowadays if he is feeling off-color, if he is pale and therefore ill, so in those days people, people's state of health was apparent in the ether body its coloring in its red, blue, or green appearance, for instance. At that time, human knowledge was founded on light, on the light indwelling people. So we can take the phrase quite literally. This was an age of light, when the light living in people could really be perceived. If you consider human health and illness, you will find that today light still has a huge effect. We have to ensure that the right amounts of light enter our organism. As we know, children who are deprived of light at a delicate age can get rickets or other disorders that are likewise connected with lack of light, though also, of course, with other factors, since illness never originates in a single cause. But conditions such as rickets are certainly connected with receiving too little sunlight. Children living in the city in blocks of flats where not much light penetrates are on an average far more likely to get rickets than those exposed to adequate sun daylight. So we can still say today that we absorb light. Yet the light we assimilate today, if I may put it like this, is mineral light. We absorb the light that has shone down upon the earth on its minerals and is reflected back to us. Even the light that falls on meadows and trees is conveyed to us minerally. 
It is dead light, which we imbibe through our skin, through the whole of us. In those ancient days of light preceding the age of darkness, people were aware that this dead light really had no significance for them. Modern historians and cultural historians know nothing about such things. The light we value so much today was of scarcely any worth to those people in olden times. The distinction they made between the light they valued and the light we value so much today could roughly be described as one we make between a plate, fork and spoon when we eat and a cake or other food on our plate. We eat the cake. The knife and fork are useful, of course, but we don't eat them. So, for those ancient people, the light we value was present too, but the light they esteemed came from the realm of plants. And this is something we no longer assimilate at all in the way people did once in those old eras of light. Nowadays we enjoy going out into the sunshine. In ancient times a person enjoyed walking over a meadow or through a wood because he absorbed through his skin the light that the wood had first assimilated, that was enlivened in the wood and on the meadow. And the other light, the dead light, was an added flavoring, like salt. For us the salt has become the chief thing. In olden times people lived in the light which the flowers and the trees gave them. They experienced this light as a source of inner enlivening, feeling themselves imbued with inwardly living rather than dead light. We have no conception at all of this with our abstract pleasure in the woods and the flowers, in everything which one can say is Philistine in cosmic terms. Of course, it is still beautiful, but it is Philistine when compared to the inner rejoicing experienced by ancient people when they walked in the woods or over the fields, when they encountered everything living under the heavens A person of these ancient times felt connected with his trees and with a particular plant that suited him well. Ancient people felt the most vital sympathy and antipathy with this plant or that. Whereas when we walk over the fields surrounding the Gertianum, say in autumn, we have only a Philistine sense of the meadow saffron, the Colchicum autumnala, perhaps just admiring its beauty. When a person in ancient times walked past such a plant, he would grow sad. His head even grew a little dry, his hair limp. But if he passed a flower with a red blossom, plants like our poppy, his hair would fluff up, grow soft and silken. Thus these people of olden times had a full immediate experience of light in the world of plants. It was the age of light and their whole culture was oriented to healing ability, or in other words to fighting death by observing and treating the ether body. This only very slowly faded, and even if we study medicine in ancient Greece, if we read about Hippocrates, we see insight there into fluids in the human organism, black and yellow bile, blood and phlegm. In Greece, memories still survived, of the ancient age of light. Phlegm really referred to the ether body and blood to the resonances which the astral body caused in the ether body and so forth. 
Memories of an older version, excuse me, memories of an older vision remained, and really not until the time of Galen, when the merely physical world had begun to be a factor in human culture, did people's view of the human being in relation to healing processes acquire a physical character. Then people started to focus on the human being's physical body. But really this did not come into its own until the great transitional era in the 15th century. The first half of that century, when people no longer knew anything about the human etheric body, not even how it manifests in the temperaments. And at that point, the human physical body became ever more central. An older kind of physical medicine was somewhat different from what it became in the 18th and 19th centuries, and possessed traditions, at least, of earlier ways of healing through the etheric body. One can gain a sense from this older medicine, also in Europe, that old principles were retained and simply transferred to the physical realm. One can say that the physical organism was continually regarded as subject to the influence of the etheric organism. Only in more modern times, in the Copernican era and that of Galileo, did people begin to consider the physical body alone, losing a knowledge that had been very highly developed in former times. Nowadays, people think that if they eat a particular food that exists outside in nature, it will basically remain the same substance in the human body. But this is not so. Salts remain close to their original form, but everything originating in the plant or animal kingdoms is transformed completely in the human organism. The human organism converts these substances completely. In former times it was known that the inner constitution of the physical human organism is, quote, not of this world, close quote, and that, basically, falling ill is nothing other than a continuation of what occurs when we eat. At one time, in fact, especially among Arab physicians, digestion was regarded to some degree as a pathological process, a view that is indeed justified. When we eat something, we ingest something alien to us and are, in a sense, ill. Our inner organism and inner organ functions first have to overcome this, in quotes, disorder. Really, as we do this, we are a Quote, little bit ill, close quote, and must overcome this slight disorder a little, cure it a little. We eat ourselves into a sick state and digest ourselves to recovery again. For a while, Arab physicians subscribed to this outlook, and indeed it does have much truth, for actually there is no clear boundary between what we call healthy eating and eating that makes you ill. Just think how easy it is to do yourself harm by eating, when what we can overcome as matter of course passes over immediately into our failure to do so. Then we become ill. But there is no clear boundary between the two. Likewise, there is no clear demarcation between contusions or bruises that heal naturally and those requiring medical attention. It was therefore quite justified to see internal complaints as a continuation of the process of eating, of an eating that was not quite in order. And so these physicians studied the daily process of digestion 
to learn how it makes us healthy again. It is therefore also a very good habit for some people who do not care for certain unsalted food to go on adding salt to it. Some like to add pepper or paprika too. They do so because this makes the food more palatable to them. Again, there is no clear boundary if someone needs pepper or paprika as a remedy. No clear boundary as to whether one gives a person pepper or paprika so that he can regain his health via digestion or if things get worse, something from the mineral realm. It doesn't matter whether one gives this as spice with a meal or as medicine. The two things run into each other without a clear distinction. So people possessed the clear knowledge in those times that whenever someone ingests something from the external world, this impairs his inner organism and he has to overcome it. It is only a matter of finer distinctions whether I get a rusty splinter in my thumb which my organism has to get rid of by forming a boil, or whether I introduce something into my stomach that cannot remain there in that form so that my organism has to undergo all these processes in order to assimilate it. But this insight existed, that the human organism is not of this earth and can only be sustained on earth if continually stimulated to overcome the earth's forces. You see, we do not eat to put some food or other inside us, but to inwardly develop the powers to overcome the ingested food. We eat in order to offer resistance to earthly forces, and we live on this earth by offering resistance. But this was slowly forgotten. People started to see things in wholly materialistic ways, and ended up just investigating whether this or that substance is useful in this or that plant. Yes, indeed, this is what was once meant, and what we must again understand today by the, quote, age of darkness. Close quote. Everything has been darkened and obscured. In former times, people could perceive the bright ether body as the human being himself. Now people no longer perceive it at all, instead only determining where in the organism substances are found and adhering to dead light. But this dead light is something initially which people are only in, which people see only in abstract intellectual concepts. Today we stand at a point of transition where a need arises for us to perceive and recognize light again in a new way. In, in former times people knew they were possess, that they possessed this light-filled ether body. Now we must increasingly develop a form of etheric perception in the external world, in particular the world of plants. Goethe made a beginning here with his ideas on metamorphosis, although he still formulated them in an abstract intellectual way. This must increasingly become pictorial, and we must realize that we should get to the point of seeing the plant world in luminous images. In the ancient age of light, the human form shone, and in future the world of plants and nature around us must shimmer and shine in the most varied imaginations of plant forms. Through this luminosity of plant forms, we will once again discover remedies in them. This needs to happen in future. 
whereas people of a former age of light perceived an inner light, nowadays we must gain vision of the surrounding world and find light there, this light of the outer world. And in fact this light can be kindled as one increasingly fathoms spiritual science. You might say that you find only concepts when you read spiritual science, anthroposophy, that in reading, say, title Occult Science, also known as Esoteric Science, you also meet concepts there and have no need to really gain vision of anything. But, my dear friends, this occult science has a dual aim. Firstly, for you to familiarize yourself with its content, but that is not all. Once you have read my occult science, as you would read any other book, then all you have for the time being is the match. If you want fire, there is no point in saying, this match is not fire. Of course, a match does not look in the least like fire. Occult science does not look like clairvoyance. But the match will look like fire if you strike it. And if it doesn't catch at the first strike, you strike again and keep trying. It is the same with occult science. Having read it like any other book, you just have the match in your hands but strike it properly in your whole being, and you'll find it flares up. It will do so, my dear friends, even if so far it shows scarcely a flicker. And those who say that this is still far removed from the clairvoyance they seek are just looking at the match and not striking it. You have to first know the nature of the match, for otherwise you might delude yourself into thinking that a pin could strike a flame. A pin, in other words, modern science, cannot do this. Only a match will burst into flame. A real match can and will. Today the human race faces the need to do this, and it may be that something like medical knowledge and skill will most vividly show whether people find a transition or not from merely looking on at the obscurities of substance, observing a flower outwardly, say, as people do today, to an imaginative pictorial vision gained by striking the match and using insights acquired in this way to perceive how a particular substance affects the human organism. This is where humanity stands today. It needs to pass from darkness into light and learn to use light-filled judgment. Let me clarify this with an example. Let's assume a modern physician diagnoses dilation of the heart in a patient. There's not a lot of you can do. There's not a lot you can do with such a diagnosis. Perhaps one sees if something or other will help, but there is no insight into the whole context, no connected understanding. True insight will show us the following, however. I have often explained that we renew our organism entirely every seven years, and last time I told you how this renewal is accomplished. Starting from the kidney system, unprocessed substances are in a sense continually dispatched upward or forward or downward. The head system accomplishes a rounding-off action. From the head system, continual waves emanate, which create form. And from the kidney system come effects which these waves interrupt and shape, doing so four times faster, as I said. 
Now, consider an organ like the heart. There's a drawing. Here, too, a renewal occurs in all of us after seven or eight years. The heart is made new. You can observe that when you cut your fingernails, they grow again, keep growing. And the same is true of the whole human being. His substance is renewed from within outward. Now consider what happens, though, if the rhythmic system is not working properly, specifically in a case where these radiations from the kidney system shoot out far too quickly for the rhythmic organism, giving rise to the wrong ratio rather than four to one. This varies from person to person, for we are all individual, but basically this is the ratio that applies in the organism we possess. Let's assume this is not functioning properly, that the radiation comes from the kidney system is too rapid. What would result? This can result in the following. The process of renewal is happening all the time, of course. And now let us assume that before the old substance has been entirely expelled, there's a drawing, the new has been inserted there. Things are happening too rapidly. If renewal is happening too fast, we get conditions such as dilation of the heart. Incipient heart dilation will tell you immediately that kidney function is not in order. If you give serious credence to the fact that our bodies are renewed in seven or eight years, you can discover this, that a renewal has been accomplished after seven years without enough of the old substance being expelled, so that the organ stretches or at least seeks to do so. We need to learn to look at things in such terms, to see them in in living movement. This is a development we must embark on. Above all, we must learn to look beyond narrow confines. For how do physicians make their diagnoses today? A modern physician diagnoses such a condition by recording the shape of the heart, in other words, by examining its current finished form. But in fact, doing so is not of great importance for the heart, is an organ that continually flows away and is reconfigured. An inner mobility is at work here. And if I just record its given shape at any moment, it's rather like drawing a flash of lightning, which is also in continual motion. I have to grasp the living nature of the human being if I wish to understand him. And I only find this living quality if I understand the whole world and draw my insight into the human being from the whole world. This enlivened way of working and seeing is one we must embark on. Above all, we ought to start developing such inner mobility in children in school. It is a terrible thing to keep children immobile in school. I always feel pained, for instance, to see children using a fixed triangle for all kinds of things. Such stasis is of little worth. Really, the children should have a triangle that can alter its shape and position so that they gain a sense that everything should be grasped as moving and changing. Of course, it is terribly difficult to discuss such things with those who want an easy life and have no desire whatsoever to engage in real activity. It is hard to discuss this with people who get fed up even when children themselves dance about, let alone being asked to embrace learning aids that dance about as well. 
Naturally, it is hard work to enter into a living realm, but that is what we need to do. In summarizing all this, we arrive at a prompting to raise ourselves into a new age of light, to pass from a dark age into a light age. And since people are unable to do this, or rather they persuade themselves that they can't, or because they don't want to, because they cling to what they are accustomed to and refuse to enter a new domain, we are witnessing terrible catastrophes in our time, for the old is no longer adequate. And such catastrophes will increase if people continue to drag their heels when it's time for a new departure. The catastrophes that occur are a reaction to the age of darkness, which no longer belongs in the modern era. Yet it is, of course, incredibly hard to meet with understanding, since my inkling of the new age of light arises at most in the conflict between the older and younger generation. Young people will think that the older generation are Philistines, and this has its precedence. The great German philosopher Johann Gottlieb Fichte sensed this when he made the classic statement that all thirty-year-olds ought really to be killed, since people are only decent human beings until that age. Fichte famously said this, and since Goethe was already a good deal older than thirty when he did, he was extremely annoyed and made this notion the subject of mockery in part two of his Faust. In fact, of course, one finds that young people happily regard older ones as Philistines, but then, after a certain age, often become still greater Philistines themselves. Well, it seems to me that we have two choices, either to become adherents of Spenglerism, which will spell the downfall of the West, or to get used to the idea that a new era of light is emerging. To affirm this new era as opposed to one of darkness when people were like earthworms in relation to the cosmos. Historically, we needed to be earthworms for a while to avoid being entirely subsumed by light. We could only develop our freedom in this age of darkness and then only at the conclusion of the dark age in modern times. We could only achieve freedom because light left us to our own devices to lead an earthworm life. I told you that people in the ancient era of light primarily received light from the world of plants. Plants imbibed the cosmic light, if you like, and human beings drank this light in turn from the vessel offered them by plants. Today we have only dead light. But on the rays of this dead light Christ once entered and fulfilled the mystery of Golgotha. This is the great cosmic secret of modern times. It is true that we have dead light and this cannot fill us with bliss. But Christ entered the realm of earth on the rays of dead light and fulfilled the mystery of Golgotha. And it is because we have the dead light outside and surrounding us today that we can enliven Christ within us. And then with Christ living within us in the right way, we enliven all light around us on earth, bearing life into the dead light, ourselves having an enlivening effect on the light. In other words, we must enter the new age of light with the right Christ impulse. And repudiation of the Christ impulse is really what is preventing people today 
from perceiving how a dark age is passing over into an age of light. As the plant grows out of the soil, there is another drawing, as I described, it develops the ovary by using powers originating the previous year. Only the petals of the flower grow forth from this year's light. What the plant draws from the soil really originates the previous year. And thus what plants gave human beings in the ancient era of light was in fact a preserved light. And now we must become able to grasp the dead light around us with a sensibility engendered in us as we absorb the power of Christ in a living vision of the mystery of Golgotha. In doing so we enliven light, as I have said. But we can only do so if we learn to regard all things in the way I have tried to demonstrate in the course of these lectures. The end of Lecture 5